0: Do you realize throughout this entire conversation, your head has been, like, cut in half by your camera? Can, can oh, you, really? Can you not see yourself? Yeah, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> <laughs> this is why, I was, like, the whole way through, I'm like, there's no way this is going on YouTube. There is no <laughs> out. No I'm here, then, and we're following on from the uh, essay that I wrote about mental health recently, and I'm just getting the essay up here on my computer so I can have a look at it as well, because... I've gone out and reached out to someone who can help us, especially in the nutrient aspects of looking at how we can uh, provide our brains with the correct fuel, not only our bodies, in order to perform at a higher level, which is, of course, what we're all for. So I've known my guest for a while. <laughs> um, how, I'll put you straight on, actually. So, Teresa, uh, how long have I known you for? Oh, um, about
1: 42 years. 42
0: years. 42 years. 42 years and why have I known you in 42 years? Because
2: I'm your big
0: sister. You're my big sister and that's I thought actually what better person to have on here and to talk about these sort of things because a lot of people listen to these podcasts and what I tend to do with the podcast is read out one of the essays I've written and I find that quite a lot of people consume that content um, through audio of course which makes sense because we can do other things as we're as we're listening and that's what it's all about is trying to sort of maximize the uh, the learning that we can do and in the minimal time we take to do it. So I thought I'd reach out to you and talk about that essay if that was possible because you did read it and it was all about mental health and I thought one of the big things was um, nutrition was the one thing that um, we could sort of talk about. Um, and I was going to ask actually, I released a YouTube video recently where I talked about supplements that I was taking and those supplements were just the multivitamin Um, zinc and magnesium, and vitamin D3. And the reason I took those was because you said to me, have you thought about how your brain is being fueled at all? Um, So maybe we can sort of talk those three through, now, also, one quick thing: people in the comments on those YouTube videos are saying, "I've started taking all these things and and um I don't know my wee is yellow or something, and I'm like, "Well, what works for me isn't necessarily working for you, and I haven't actually advised people to take these things, so everyone is slightly different, if we just start off by saying that the brain is made up of sixty percent fat, isn't it, of which about twenty percent of that is what omega six is omega threes and that kind of thing, can you sort of explain how important sort of nutrition is then to the brain?
2: Okay, well, as you said, the brain is made up largely of fat and it's fueled by glucose which is its preferential fuel. What happens is, if you eat a diet that's very high in saturated fat, then those saturated fats get um, placed into the membranes of the brain cells and that causes them to become less flexible. So, it's been implicated in diseases as widely spread as depression, Anxiety, Alzheimer's, ADHD. So your, your, your intake of fats is really crucial to think about when you're thinking about brain health.
0: Yeah. So, and and what kind of fats? We get lots of fats from like nuts and things like that, can't we? Is that the sort of, when we talk about fats, is that the kind of thing that we are um, talking about how we, how we get fats? What avocado, that kind of stuff?
2: Yeah. So not all fats are created equal. So of course you've got your saturated fats. Like lard and animal fats and things like that. So, the saturated fats are fats which are hard at room temperature, and those are largely not so good for the brain, with the exception of, of course, the coconut oil, which is more medium chain fatty acids and is solid at this temperature, but is supposed to be, you know, very good for the brain. Unfortunately, we don't know as much as we could do about these things because they're not. Um, they're not really that amenable to sort of randomized control trials, which is what you know drug sort of companies run on, and um, and they're not going to do the trials because you can't patent, you know, coconut oil. Yeah. But but thinking about that, what you want to do is is vastly increase your intake of omega three. So we get enough omega six. So omega six is from things like um. Sunflower oil. Right. um Bravest oil, that sort of thing. And um, we tend, if you eat baked goods or bread or any of those kind of sort of beige-coloured foods, you're going to get enough omega-6. What we don't get enough of is omega-3. And that's largely because we don't eat as much fish as we used to. Um, and I think other things like um, people who are vegetarian don't tend to get enough because it's mostly in animal products. Um so you might want to think about supplementing just to make sure that you are getting enough omega three. Three. That's, that's the, the big fat that you want for your brain. Yeah, I'm obviously getting... it's not all about fat, but you know that's what we're but, talking about at the moment. And, and you don't need to be frightened of putting on weight by eating fat, because as you know, we talk about all the time, weight gain is about sugar, not about.
0: Yeah, about sugar, about sugar. When you talk about breads and everything, because obviously we get the the omega-6 from bread products, but I don't advocate people taking bread. One of the interesting things about it, and I was um, going to try and talk about this a little bit, was the food that we feed pilots on the squadron. So we have on the squadron, we have um, uh, lunches. And if you're flying over a lunch, then the, the officer's mess will provide a little box lunch for you. It, it, what actually happens is it, it comes in a big sort of, tray and they just drop it in the fridge and this is tends to be white bread sandwiches um your standard yeah. sort of cheese or your or your ham or whatever it might be but you get like um a small chocolate bar i think it's like a small mars or something and you get a packet of uh i think they're a packet of crisps now let's not go into names that they're probably like walkers or something you know what i mean and, um, and then and then you get like a, a piece of fruit now it used to be much worse than that it used to be tapio crisps from northern ireland which are very salt heavy crisps are salt heavy aren't they um it used to be like a penguin and uh, the sandwiches yeah. were a lot worse. And then the drink you get is this orange drink, which is heavily sugared. We, we know it is. Yeah. So what we're feeding people who need to have um, a very um, – uh, not regimented, what's the word I'm for? But, well, good, basically. What need to have very good um, mental cognitive processes for when they go flying. Yeah. We're feeding them the worst food possible. Now, people will say it's high in carbohydrate. We need to burn that. You know, that kind of stuff, high in sugar to burn. The brain needs fuel in that respect. But we're not giving them. We can get carbohydrates from vegetables, can't
2: we? Of course, of course, and and of course you get it's a more complex carbohydrate, isn't it? So so it would last you a lot longer and keep your mental clarity at a set rate for a lot longer. Yeah. So when you eat sugar, um, as you know, you get this you know huge insulin spike. Um, you feel initially better, but then you get the down after. Whereas if you eat a complex carbohydrate diet, of which, you know, grain are part of, but, but as, as we both talked about, there's a, there's a problem with, with eating grain, um, which we can talk about later. Um, but then if you, so if you eat complex carbohydrates, you end up with a more steady release of fuel and you don't get that insulin spike. And it's that insulin spike that is being implicated in damage to the brain's, on a long term basis, causing things like Alzheimer's.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that that comes from those kind of foods. It's interesting because I've seen it's probably both yeah.
2: Sorry, I was gonna just say that like, those sorts of foods are cheap as well. Yeah. And I think we could I see it the same in the hospital where I work, you know, which is a mental health hospital, and the foods that we feed people are not the best and most most healthy foods, but but they're cheap. Mm. And you know, so it's balancing that you know, um, that uh, need to, to feed a lot of people with, you know, diminishing amounts of money both in the military and in um, in healthcare. Yeah. But also I think it's a mindset. It takes a change of mind to think, well, you don't have to eat sandwiches for lunch. You could have a small salad or you could have, you know, carrot sticks with hummus dip or something. Yeah. And I'm not sure that, that the... the other institutions you who know,
0: are cooking the food have caught up with that yet? Yeah, I, and I, I, what I've seen over my 20 years is that pilots are eating much more healthily. We get the odd person will bring in, and why not? You know, they bring in a pasta bake of sorts or lasagna. And of course, I, I get what that is. You need food that's going to sustain in a very, um, in a job that is very energy um heavy with using the brain processes of course i fully appreciate that but a lot of people are bringing in their salads and are bringing in things which are you know we see we see more couscous in the crew you know what i mean (laughs) you know in fact one of the guys the other day he was talking about um he was talking about magnesium in something the other day i think it might have been couscous or whatever and uh because something like that, anyway. he was saying, yeah, because it's got a great magnesium content or something. And I was like, dude, stop, listen to yourself. I can't remember exactly what it was. It was one of those kind of new, new foods. But people are recognizing that actually what they put into their body um, has a marked um, uh, element of how their mind works. It does go into that. And, of course, we see people having these stodgy foods, these heavy carb foods, going flying, come back. And the debrief, of course, where the learning takes place, the reflective element of the training, is when they start switching off and falling asleep because their bodies hit that sugar spike is it's dropped the pancreas what is it's dropped a whole lot of insulin isn't it and now it's the body is like i now need to sleep and so what i'm pushing for of course is better food but again how do we you know how do we do that they will say well you could go to the mess and you could eat there and you could get better food there and that's true we work in an environment where the mess is only open for say an hour over lunch people fly over lunch other militaries stop they actually physically stop in a morning wave. they all go to have lunch. They all come back in the afternoon. Yeah, the French do that. And some other militaries do that as well. We don't do that, of course. Um, that's another bugbear we can talk about. But this is why we are putting poor food into, um, into some of our pilots, I think. Probably inadvertently, as you say, because there is a finite financial resource. You know what I mean? Well, but there's also a lack of understanding, I think. And
2: one of the things that, that you and I have talked about quite a lot, and that's really growing in, in a lot of things, particularly in my is this idea of of us as humans as an ecosystem. So we've talked a lot about the microbiota of the gut and how we are not separate from the trillions of bacteria that live in our gut. And what we're now starting to find is that what we're actually doing when we're eating food is we're feeding those bacteria. And because many of them are right on the lining of the gut, they can actually communicate with the brain directly via the vagus nerve and indirectly via the release of the products of the breakdown of your food, which can enter the bloodstream, um, causing release of various hormones and such like. Yeah. And some of these can cross the blood-brain barrier. So what we're finding is that um, we are in constant communication with these scar bacteria and we, we need to start thinking much more in terms of maintaining a healthy gut in order to maintain a healthy brain. Yeah. And I don't think it, that's certainly not... It's not mainstream. It society, it?
0: No, it's not mainstream at all, especially I don't think it's mainstream in the military either at the moment, to be honest with you. I think what's interesting though as well, I mean, we can, we can talk about alcohol, we can touch upon that as well, and the alcohol usage, because... When we look at what we do put in our body, alcohol is obviously a big factor within the military, less so now, I believe. But that has another problem by it it being less of a factor in, say, the military, because alcohol was used to decompress quite a lot. So when, and we know this, we've seen this from our dad who was a police officer when the police clubs used to be open. and I wrote about that. After days at work, you know, when he'd clear up road accidents, he'd go to the bar, they'd have a few beers, they'd talk about it, then he'd come home. And of course, he wouldn't offload all that onto the wife. Because it's already out of the system. And yeah. with flying, we used to go to the bar, used to have a few beers, and now, of course, that's not um, something that's tolerated. Rightly so. However, the, the the effect of that, of course, is guys bottling up problems, probably with an unhealthy diet as well, maybe drinking at home by themselves, then getting marriage problems because they're just offloading on the wife or the girlfriend. And I, you know, I've been there. Don't get me wrong. So it's it's more than just food isn't it it's a whole as you said that eco-structure it's um interesting i don't find guys smoking that much anymore to be honest with you but even that's quite a good release though isn't it because they can go outside and, and chat to people but the alcohol thing is um one of those interesting ones if you get rid of it completely it can be just as bad as actually having people having alcohol in the evening can't it
2: well i think it's an interesting one because smoking has become you know really antisocial and so now People don't, people are stopping, you know, not just because it's bad, but because it's seen as bad by, yeah. you know, by other people's society. Whereas alcohol still doesn't have that, that kind of um, picture, and yet it can be just as damaging. And obviously, we're not talking about people who have, you know, a glass of wine in the evening or whatever. Um, but it is a depression, and I see quite a lot of people who, it's it's either a before or after picture. So either they're drinking too much and they start to become depressed or they they start to become depressed because of life circumstances, then they start drinking too much and then that compounds their depression. So alcohol is one of those molecules that can directly impact on the brain and can change the, the chemical makeup and the amount of neurotransmitter in the brain. So initially, of course, it's just for dopamine release and that's why it makes you feel better. But if you if you have too much, then you get down regulation of that, and so you need more and more of it in order to get the same effect. So people who are drinking relatively heavily and then stop find that they don't have enough um, of the receptors for their dopamine and they can that can make them become depressed. Yeah. And that's why people People really suffer when they stop any sort of drug. I mean, alcohol is the one, but any drug that releases dopamine. And of course, this is why, you know, the, the mainstay of treatment of depression in psychiatry at the moment is the selective serotonin reuptake. The theory being that if you're depressed, it's because you've got not enough serotonin.
1: Right.
2: But actually, what we're starting to find is that not all depressions are equal. And so the, the depression that follows the stopping of drugs may well be a dopamine-mediated depression, and so an SSRI medication is not going to impact on that. Uh, There's lots of change happening in psychiatry as well, but, but unfortunately, treating people through their lifestyle or through their nutritional intake is still not mainstream. It's still very much about drugs at the moment.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I mean, we've, we've read these, um, and I I hate using the word diet and you do as well. You're not a massive fan of talking about, well, when I talk about diet, I'm talking about holistic diet. I'm talking about what you eat every day forever. I'm not talking about something you go on. Yeah. I'm not talking about something you go on for 30 days and stop because diets by definition have to end, don't they?
2: And I think that it's quite important for me to point out at this point that, you know, I'm quite good at, um, and knowing what I should be doing and advocating to my patients what they should do, but I still think far too much. Diet coke. Yeah,
0: yeah, and that's the thing because obviously I'm, I'm writing. We're well, trying to write a book actually, and um, it's about decision making. And a lot of that book, as we talked about recently, is uh, talking about getting from that potential to that action stage. So why why do people find it, why do people find it easy to make a decision, but then actually not action that very well? So we can all say, can't we? Right. I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna stop drinking my diet coke, and then it's very hard to actually stop drinking the diet coke,
1: which.
2: I know that Diet Coke is, you know, very much part of my dopamine reward system, yeah. and that's why I, I drink too much of it. Yeah. I don't smoke oak anymore, I don't drink alcohol anymore, I have three small children under three and a half, and uh, and Diet Coke's about the only kind of thing that I do, so that's why I end up yeah. drinking too much. Yeah. And that's probably true for a lot of people, but um, I also know about myself that I'm a very all-or-nothing type person. So unless I go on, you know, go, right, I'm going to give up all sugar and all grains and all dairy, you know, actually, it would make sense to just kind of go, well, I'm going to cut down a bit on sugar.
1: But you did the whole... I'm um, not
2: that kind of person. When I,
1: Yeah.
2: So I'm going to say, when I say that, I'll cut down a bit, then I I don't. (laughs) So I have to be, I'm sort of person that has to say, I am not going to have any. And, of course, that's not sustainable, really. In the long term, you can say you're, not, you're going to do it for
0: a week, but, you know, saying going to do it for a month, a month is a long
2: time. So, Yeah, and that's, that's the thing. why people
0: fail. I think that's right. They say um it's 21 days to change a habit, don't they? And I, I always say 21 yeah. days plus seven. So you do 21 days, give it an extra seven, and that kind of cements that habit <laughs> in. But habits, maybe the harder to, to change as you get older. I'm a big fan, really, of um, the one step at a time, not trying to change your whole life, because your mind is very... your your mind doesn't like all that change and it will just regress back to the norm won't it so it's um, a small thing but also as you said you know what's so bad about diet coke when everything else is being cut out I mean you don't want to be you know
2: but I think it it is about um, not necessarily changing one thing at a time but but thinking about things in terms of moderation so you know yes you might be a person who drinks a little bit too much wine or um, you know like for me drinks Coke, or doesn't exercise enough, but that doesn't mean you can't still put in small steps in other places. So even something like, you know, as simple as taking the stairs when you could go and lift. Yeah. You know, and what you do is you start doing that, and then that makes you feel proud of yourself because you've done something good for your body. Yeah. And then that makes you want to do something a little bit better. So you might, I don't know, park your car a bit further away from, you know, the, the shop or whatever. And, the, and so you can do little tiny steps, which are about sort of rewarding yourself, being kind to yourself. You know, I'm a big one on um, compassion and treating yourself kindly. And, and again, you know, I'm not great at it myself, but I'm, I'm really good at telling my patients to do it. Yeah. And, um, and I think, so for example, you might say, well, I'm going to have half the sugar in my tea instead of a whole sugar. You know, and that's a great change to make because- yeah. Over the course of a year, you've made a, you've made a great change, and, and it will impact
0: on your body, albeit in a small way. You know you're absolutely right. Compound compound interest, isn't it? This is what happens in money. So doing these small things, step step counters, I find are really useful. Um, people yeah. are tr- people that try and get ten thousand, I never get ten thousand steps a day. I never do, but people that do apparently they they aim for that target and they won't stop walking until they get ten thousand steps a day. Yeah, it's
1: quite impressive. It's about it?
2: increasing your motivation level, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Because guess, yeah. everybody in today's society is is busy, is, you know, most people are working, a lot of people have children, you know, um, people have outside hobbies, their relationships, and people get really stressed by, you know, what's going on in the news and such like. Yeah. So increasing your motivation to improve your self-care is actually quite tricky, but, but can be done. And there are, you know, there are ways of doing it, and and having a step counter is just one of them. Um, yeah, no, the thing actually that, yeah, that I like, to have to say, which has got nothing to do with nutrition actually, is, is um, new fast. So, so this is something I picked up from um, an MD in um, America called Andrew Wiles, W E E I L and he recommends new fast. So, not not even, you know, for a, a whole week, even a day, coming off the internet or right. coming off. It's like, I, I very rarely watch the news because um, I find it impacts on my mental state too yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. And what's really interesting is last week when um, when that chap uh, killed those people on Westminster Bridge, I had at least two of my patients became really quite unwell, who were both doing really well. Yeah. But following that incident, relapse, they were both patients with schizophrenia, which of course, you know, has a, has a lower stress tolerance. And and it's not always healthy to watch these things. And I think like one person said, you know, yes, that has to be informed. We well, do have to be informed, but you don't have to be inundated. Yeah. And I think we are inundated in our society. And I know for myself that too much Facebook impacts my mental state. Again, I, I still do it. I shouldn't, but, but I know that if, even if I come off it you know, for a week while I'm on holiday, then I
0: just feel so much better. It's a, it's almost like a, a drug, isn't it, Facebook? And they, they've they got people in it there. Is. Yeah, they know. They, I mean, they've got so much money that they they know that your little notification symbol with a little number in a red square on it is a dopamine hit. When you click that yeah. and you see these people that are your friends and they're validating you, aren't they? And it's all about when you post something, you know, because... Our other sister, shall we say, will post <laughs> We'll things like...
2: You need to be very careful. I
0: know, exactly, I do. She's getting mad, isn't she? Could tell mum or something. I'll be like, don't tell mum. She sometimes will put something on Facebook like, oh no, not again. And of course, people respond to that and I get it. I understand why. And and, and she has a very, very um, a good good bunch of friends and I, I totally get that. But that is an example of what keeps us connected into into yeah. as you said this saturation media that we actually do to ourselves. Don't we? We go there, and we get this. It's not as if it's yeah. forced on us. We turn our computers on, we turn our televisions on, we sleep with our phones next to us. You know, yeah. it's you can't get away from it. You know, that's the problem, isn't it? And you're right, I think it actually does make us less happy having these
1: things there. And
2: um, I wonder because what I would really like, and I thought I mean, I've been kind of thinking about is because I have messenger and I have some groups on messenger like you know as I said I've got four children and I've got a really good tribe of mum friends and there's a the group where we we all post you know we all chat we go um and I don't want to lose that but I'd really like to delete the internet from my phone yeah because I find it too distracting I'm in the middle of something with the children and I think oh I'll, I'll buy that book that Tim's just recommended to me and before I know, I'm on Amazon you know and yeah. I'm not Connecting yeah. with the reality of my life, I'm living my life much too much online. But, but what I can't find out is how to have just my messenger group and no no internet connection. And well, I, I'm not sure that that I think you can have
0: you can have like a Facebook Messenger app, but you'd literally have to remove that Facebook uh, app from your phone, wouldn't you? you? Just have the messenger app, and then you can still message people. But the Facebook, you know, you'd have to go online. You'd have to open up your little you know, your world of the internet and go and search Facebook and get on it. And then, I mean, people do that. In fact, some people um, just don't have any, in fact, Nokia just released a new 3110. I think it is where I think, I don't think you can get the internet on it. I think it's like the old phones used to have. It's got a snake on it. Oh, well, snake. I definitely, I'm
2: going
0: buy one of those. Buy, <laughs>
1: yeah, buy, buy one of those.
2: Yeah, I cannot, if, if I've got internet on my phone, I tried, I tried coming off Facebook and deleting the app, but I just went on
1: through the internet. Yeah, yeah, that's it.
2: So because, as you say, we get such a a dopamine
1: Huge from
2: from looking at it and from reading through um, and hearing that little ping. And I find that distraction, it really is sapping my peace, you know, on a daily basis. So I think what I need is a phone that actually makes phone calls, and that's it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean... Uh, something i want to talk about if i can briefly because it's something that i do um know that you're involved with as well is uh the, the facebook group that we follow uh and it's doctors isn't it and the whole thing is, is from the nhs yeah. largely online i think it's international isn't it from what i can gather it's not yeah. just uk i think it's it might be heavy uk but
2: if there's it, it, going you're talking about tea and
0: empathy yeah and i didn't really want to mention it in case yes. i wasn't supposed to but you know it's yeah it's called tea it's and
2: empathy not a, it's it's not, a, it's not a Group, right. open group okay so anyone can find it there's a debate going on all the time about whether to make it a closed group but right. at the moment it's an open group and it was started um just over a year ago following the death of a young doctor who committed to the um, by the end of Colch down in torquay yeah. and uh what actually trainees that worked down there just started this group just to say. You know, if you're feeling stressed and you're a healthcare worker, just come and have some healing. And it's grown. There's obviously a huge need for it because yes. it just yes. exploded, and it it now I I wouldn't like to tell you how many thousands of members it's got.
1: Yeah.
2: Um. But people regularly post anonymously through the admins. Um. Just just things that they're struggling with, and at the moment it is. It's interesting that you're on there because it's mostly. Medics and nurses, but you know there are more and more people joining, which shows that there's actually a need for it, and yeah. is where people can say, "I have these issues in my life. Can someone just tell me that I'm not cracking up if I feel really stressed about it?" And that's something that seems to be missing from a lot of people's lives
0: at the moment Mm. I think um, I I think it's the mentoring to be honest I mean my role on the squadron when I am there and it's less and less so because obviously I'm I'm busy the whole time I work in a a town as well um, was the role of the squadron uncle of course so the squadron uncle is a guy historically from the second world war who would be a guy who'd been on the squadron far too long should be doing something else with his life to be honest with you Um, but he'd be the guy you could turn to and uh you could say, Look, I'm not feeling great today, uh, or not feeling great, my mum's died, or you know, my mum's died, but my aunt's died. Um and yeah. you and you talk it through. And that that has kind of when I was on fifteen squadron on Tornadoes at Lossie, we had a squadron uncle there. I never had a squadron uncle again throughout the rest of my career until I became the, the uno- it. Yeah, it's unofficial squadron uncle. And even then, I'm not there much any, anymore anyway. Although I do get a lot of guys in the Air Force that will just phone me, will email me, um, and they will talk stuff through, which is fantastic. But it shows me, again, that there is that need. And I wonder whether it's because we've lost that mentoring, that mentoring connection that we used to have. Does that make sense? That's
2: definitely possible. Um, I think – I wonder if in the military, though, there is a difficulty with, with showing your vulnerable side – um, or admitting to having difficult thoughts or feelings, because you get taken off duty. So, yeah. yeah
1: so for me, true.
2: for example, if, if, if one of my colleagues or or myself, if I'm feeling that I, you know, developing a clinical depression or whatever, I can go sick, and that's not great for my team. Um, but I don't get stopped being a doctor. I could even, and and I've known of people have. Sort of slightly reduced duties or something, but but if you're a pilot or a combat soldier or something like that, you know, even just to admit or just you know to go on an antidepressant, which might help you, means that you then get stopped flying. And of yeah. course, for a pilot, that's their their whole raison deck, is isn't it? Their, that's their job.
0: Yeah, and there are pilots in the air force that have stopped flying and are on medication now. And I know a lot of those guys that are on squadrons that are not flying at the moment. Now, it is better that we get that sorted out. But if it's done maturely, which I believe it is done a lot more maturely than it was when I had issues like five, six years ago, when I was told, you know, if you go and see someone, we will stop you flying, which is which is not true. Back then it may well have been true, but now it's not true. You can talk these things, these things through. A lot of guys, of course, need time to come away from the cockpit, to just sit there and have a think about what they're doing. You know, what is my next... Especially in this area, it's, it's time now in the military, and the same in the... Um, in the health service. We've been on a pay freeze now for I think five or six years. They've just introduced one percent, which is brilliant, isn't yeah. it? Which is so insulting. Not, i can't I can't talk that freely about this because obviously I'm serving, but people have well, told me I can
2: because we've like, just been given one yeah. percent and then have been given one and a half.
0: That's right, yeah. So, yeah,
2: I'm pretty upset about
0: that. Yeah. So these guys but I can be upset. You can be upset. Well, I, I've heard other people might be upset about in the military about the <laughs> about the one percent. A friend of mine says um, I'm in such trouble. But so and you understand it's a bit of a kick, isn't it? Really, when someone says you've been on pay freeze for ages, here's one percent, and it's not even in, yeah. in touch. So really, what I'm I've known, line
2: with inflation.
0: yeah, not in line with inflation. And what I've seen, what I've, i I feel um, less able to, or, or I feel less well off than I, than I did say five years ago, and that's a common theme. So guys are looking at it saying, well. Do I go to the Middle East? And all these questions come up again, and they feel pretty unappreciated. And, of course, that just is impacted by the fact that people do leave. Uh, the turnover is slightly higher. Their workload gets bigger, which you're, you're well familiar with, of course, in NHS about increasing workload from from people leaving. And, of course, then that compounds the, the mental health issues that they're having. Um, so it's not – unless we talk about these things, it doesn't ever get solved. Behind closed doors is never going to help it, is it?
2: I think it is definitely, in terms of thinking about the stigma around mental health, it is better, it is definitely better than it was. And one of the things I really like is, you know, like, that you've had some really positive comments, um, or just people coming forward and saying, you know, that they were really struggling and they, they read your essay and, and they were able to seek some help or even just reach out to you, which is really awesome, because I think, you know, it, it is harder for men to... To admit that they're having a problem and and of course you know for men they still have the higher rates of suicide. Um, so that's definitely improving. I think what's not improving are things like with our our most serious mental health problems like bipolar disorder and schizophrenia you know we still have the same rates as those. They're, they're largely connected so because not because of their change but we're not having the innovation in medication. We, things like day centres are shutting down, yeah. and we haven't got the staff. You know, CPNs or um, community psychiatric nurses are carrying heavier and heavier caseloads, and and so the stigma for those kind of disease is not improving no. either. No,
1: no, not at all. And, and
2: that that really worries me because I think they are they're entirely recoverable. And also I think to, to sort of go full circle, I think largely impacted by, by people's diets as well. Um, but obviously there's no money for a pharmaceutical company to look into that. So we're not probably gonna find out if we can treat them by altering people's diets. But, um, but yeah, I, I feel quite frustrated that, that we still have this stigma in, in this day and age.
0: Yeah, well, this is the thing, isn't it? I think it kind of helps people like myself saying, yeah, I, I had a bit of an issue. I know there's other pilots in the Air Force as well that don't feel so openly about talking about it. I fully appreciate that. I've got no issue with that whatsoever. You know, it's for me, it was something that it's quite important that I think we do talk about. And that's going back to 2011 when the pressure's on the squadron and yeah. I just came back from Afghan. All these other things that happened, dad died that year, you know, all that kind of stuff. Any one of yeah. those events, any one of those events would be impactful for anyone. And then, of course, staying in the cockpit trying to drag guys through just sort of pushed me over the edge. You know what I mean? And it was, um, it, of course, what people don't realise is when, with with a and I, I, what you know, what I had was was cleared up over I think probably six months to a year, or whatever. But when you do drop off that edge, it can take a very long time to rebuild. So it's better not to get there in the first place. You see what I mean? Absolutely,
2: absolutely. So prevention is always better than cure, isn't it? And it's about, I guess, it's about noticing the signs that you might be slipping from just a bit, you know, I'm a, I feel a bit stressed yeah. to, into, towards a clinical depression. So so clinical depression is a core feature and if, if people notice that they're developing these, then they really need to see their GP. Um, for low mood, obviously, lasting more than two weeks. So daily, you know, you notice if you rate yourself out of 10, and 10 is, you know, you're on a night out feeling great and zero is, you know, absolute pit. If you, if you start raising your mood and you notice that you're falling below six, five, six, then you're know you you're feeling low in yourself. So a decrease in your normal level of energy despite sleeping normally. And the feeling that, what we call anhedonia, so that the things that you would normally enjoy are just, you just can't be bothered to do them anymore. Yeah, so nothing so else. The street,
1: yeah, yeah.
2: Three core features of depression. And then alongside that, you, you'll get biological symptoms, like you might notice that your sleep is disturbed. Uh, some people sleep a lot more and eat a lot more. That's in an atypical depression. But the majority of people will find that they they can't get to sleep and they wake up in the early hours of the morning where that cortisol rise that's normally around 7 o'clock just gets earlier and earlier. And again, another, another example there of why, why we know that depression is, is not just a mind illness, it's a, a body illness as well. Um, people lose their appetite, they lose interest in sex, in friends, in going out, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and they find that they can feel foggy in their thinking and find it really hard to concentrate and to pay attention. So watching a movie, for example, you might find you just keep losing stress. So if, if any of your people, you know, if they find themselves moving from just a bit stressed
1: to having any of
2: those symptoms, then they really need to be thinking about being a GP. And that doesn't mean that they have to go on medication, but they could have some sort of
0: talking therapy which might help as well. Yeah, and this is what I think when you say talking therapy is quite interesting because that's what used to happen in the bars. You know, you used yeah. to go to the bars, you used to talk nice, stuff out, yeah. and, and people would say, take a day off, whatever. I mean, when I had, uh, I was running a team at 12, and, and when I say they're probably the most highly qualified flying instructors in the world, You know, the old old guy I know around the world might laugh at that, but actually I know a lot of militaries around the world and we've flown with a lot of militaries and we've got a lot of militaries on the squadron and I still believe those guys are probably the most talented instructors you're ever going to find. And they'd come to me and I'd say, listen, don't come in tomorrow. You know, if you want to go somewhere and you want to chill out and, you know, you've been here for a long time, you haven't taken leave for a while, if you've got a day's leave, go take it. If you haven't, just go away from the squadron and relax. And sometimes, of course, that can be the worst thing to do because they might be at home and the wife and the kids are there and stuff. Um, which is why I try to give them venture training, get them away from the squadron, and get them to talk with other people. I think was really important, and it's something um, as you said, you know, that's not always not always happening. Probably because of this very disconnected world where, you know, here's me and you now, and we're we're not even sitting next to each other. We're we're about what three hundred miles away. So yeah, doing this over because we think we can cope like that. So the traditional human emotions, the connectivity that that would be there, the sitting around the campfire at night talking, does not happen. Yeah. You know, which is interesting. So I was going to have a look briefly at the comments on the um, on the post and see whether I can get your advice on on some of them, maybe okay. chat to them, if that's all right. So um, a lot of guys are talking about ingrained military ethos, which is to be applauded, of course, but um, there needs to be checks and balances <laughs> else individuals can be pushed over the edge. And I think what that kind of talks about is they talk about the German Wings tragedy again, which was um, oh, yeah. what sort of be the suicide. Cool. Um, what I think they're talking about there is where people – don't stop or don't know when to stop working. So in the military, we're we're awful at this. And in the NHS, you guys are just atrocious as well. So we've got a lot in common here. And one of the things when I speak on that TN Empathy um, Forum, I say to people... When people say, oh, I've been called in to cover a shift for someone, I say, look, you're not making this any better by doing that. And it can be senior no. managers that ask people, senior managers reach out and say, can anyone cover this shift? We've had a dropout. People go, oh, I'll cover it then, I'll come in. Now, by doing that, of course, and we, we all want to do it, we know those gaps never get plugged, do they? So we've got manning issues in the military, never
1: get plugged because we cope. No, but I guess
2: what, what you have to think about is that both in in – the NHS, and in the military, perhaps more so in the military, you've got a self-selected group of people. So you've got a particular type there. And I don't know if doctors are a bit like this as well. I think perhaps not quite quite as much. But but certainly, you know, think of pilots, they're going to be kind of type A personalities, very hardworking, very perfectionist. And so it can be quite difficult for them to, to change their thoughts, as it were. You know and to find different ways of working and of course what what I've observed is that in my bosses things were a bit different for them when they were at my stage of training so I'm not consulting it until um, in training as a psychiatrist and and so now I look down and go oh well in our day we did hundred hour weeks and we did you know we were always in the hospital and and yes, that that may be true, but they also had bond forwards and a doctor's mess and there was always hot food yeah. and there was tea and coffee provided and they only covered one ward. So they don't really understand what it is to be a junior doctor these days. And I'd imagine that it's similar in the military that things have changed from when your bosses were at your stage training or maybe at some of your junior stage training. Yeah. And so... They they kind of they think that they were a lot more stoical and perhaps they were, but the stresses and strains are different, and the support structures are very different. So when I was training as a nurse, because I was a nurse before I was a doctor, there was still a doctor's mess at our local hospital, and they used to have parties regularly, and the whole place would be like full of foam or something, stupid thing, yeah. and that would be. There's de stressor, but I mean there isn't even a doctor's mess room. I think there might be a room somewhere with a kettle in it, but there's certainly there's no parties or anything like that. And and that of course means that that the group, you know, lots not the doctors still working in the hospital, but they don't necessarily know who each other are because they're not meeting at these parties where they're all de stressing. And and you, what you were talking about about the mess, it's the same. You know, not. You're not necessarily encouraged to go and have a drink after work or whatever, so you don't get the stress. And I think that whilst online forums are really, really supportive and really good, they're not they're not the answer we need. We're, we're social animals, and we need that physical presence of another human being. Otherwise, people get ill, and that's what we're seeing. Yeah,
0: and I um I won't. Talk about which boss I was under at the time. I remember a boss telling me, uh, Your priority for today is this. Okay, fine, I'll do that. Happy with that. And then he came in five minutes later and said, And your second priority is, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's. i think that day i end up like four priorities and and that is a problem Yeah, you know, that is a problem it's like you've now so of course when i said to him well um okay what's the time frame let's work that out let's prioritize the priorities uh and i said to him "Well, i'm gonna have to cancel my trips then and he said oh no don't cancel no, this is in addition to you, you flying
1: Yeah.
0: now you can imagine the pressure now that i'm under is i've got to be in these airplanes as well and the whole time i'm teaching i'm thinking how am i going to get these priorities done for him you know it's the most ludicrous yeah. thing. Um, and I think that comes down to uh, middle management leadership and the emotional quotient or empathy, in effect, from those yeah. people. And I think we do transition. When you get to the rank above me and maybe the next rank as well, which will be Wing Commander Group Captain, those sort of ranks are where – and it's probably like a consultant rank for you, I would have thought – or anyone in their mid-40s, they're kind of now committed to that lifestyle, that job, in effect. They're, they're mid-40s, Ooh. nearing late-40s, and you're not really going to go anywhere else. You know, You've got to commit to – now, that has an issue now, of course, because you will step on people. If I was doing it, I probably would step on people as well to try and further my career, try and add to that pension pot, try and get as far as I could. I think it's only natural, um, but it is done. And I think the problem that we have is trying to work out how we can educate that level of person about the the damage it does, they're not going to get any more out of someone that they're asked to complete five priorities from, are they? They're, they're, yeah. they're going to get worse because what happened, of course, is at some point in the future, let's just say, of course, I, I didn't cope with that at all. And I, I tried to fight that. I tried to do that, and it puts me right over the edge. So yeah. those things are there, and I, I would always go and see my men, and I would say to them, one of the first things I'd say to my men every week was, am I a problem to you? you know am i giving you tasking that is causing you an issue and and they'd all turn around and say no but they knew they could come to me and if it was uh, um going down one of the one of the comments here i love this comment this this and i don't really want to highlight Are people i
2: think from your essay? yeah
0: yeah definitely yeah and there was right. a, one of the guys said um Uh, he said um, some good points not the paleolithic stuff (laughs) he said during the paleolithic (laughs) era the men collected fruits and berries cared for the children stayed at home and kept the fire burning but he does say i'm as likely to be correct as you (laughs) so he knows that he doesn't know what's going on either um but he he does talk about the broadening definition of masculinity uh and and i think that's something that i'm writing about next is about masculinity and how we define masculinity i've just got grayson perry's book where he talks about i think the descent of man i'm going through yeah. that at the moment, and I think a lot of men are quite confused about what masculinity means at the moment, and maybe that 's causing a few issues mentally with men as well, because as we know, the suicide rate for men is um is a lot higher for the, than, than for women and I think it's probably they're working out where they 're supposed to be in the world it's not
2: it's not going up but it's
0: certainly not going down yeah yeah definitely and there's um a guy contacted me this morning about a charity starting up which um it is a mentoring system in effect where you can call up and there'll be a guy yeah i think he's in beta phase at the moment so i don't want to throw the link out there uh, until he's, he works out whether he's going to get this thing off the ground but i have spoken to him and i have said that when he does get it let me know i'll put this out to all the um the people that subscribe and read to my blog um and when they can go there and have a chat if they want to i mean there are these services out there but this one is specifically um for for young men to be mentored by other men you see what i mean you phone them up. Oh, right. and,
1: really yeah.
0: yeah. a bloke's on the phone. He says, all right, let's have a chat about it. Let's chat it through. You know, why are you feeling this and, and go through these things? Because some people just don't have, as you said, that connection. They're just not there. It's just people don't want to talk
1: about it. Well, which I'm, you um,
2: know. I suppose, you know, we've all had parents at some point, and, and unfortunately some people don't have parents when they become adults. But even if you do, it doesn't mean that, like, your father or your mother think how you do or can even – you know, act as as good role models or um yeah. I like to thinking of our, our dad, for example. You know, fabulous at his job and, and really well respected, but has the sort of emotional capacity of a brick, you know. So <laughs> so, so really didn't um really wouldn't be very good at understanding these sorts of things that we're talking about because no. he was just one of those, they used to call man's man, man yeah. and it was like, yeah, just, just get on with it. Man up. You know, it was a big man
1: up. That. It was, it was that. Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. yeah. So it would have been impossible for you to go to him. um, Had he even been alive and say, you know, dad, I'm really struggling. Because he, he wouldn't have understood. If he didn't have that kind of training himself to, to understand that. So, you know, just because people have older men or women in their lives, it doesn't mean that they're the right type of person for that, you
0: know, at that time. And people don't want to open up in the workplace sometimes to their boss because, they're, as you said, they're worried about being removed from that particular post or not being looked yes. on favourably.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. 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 And you're absolutely right. I mean, you're, you're you're writing my whole essay about dad for me, to be honest with you. But of course, he went through problems. <laughs> <laughs> he went through problems himself, didn't he? Uh, out of all the accidents, yes. he cleared up as an accident investigator with the police force. Um, eventually, when he neared sixty, I think it was, he um had issues himself, which yeah, which of course he it was sold with an alcohol initially, weren't they? And this is exactly what what he did, and that's the thing. So he went straight into um, having a few beers as well. Uh, so a lot of people. Um, wrote a lot of comments in fact i'm not even on i'm, I'm looking through that. actual uh my website at the moment but linkedin when i put it on linkedin that's had a lot of shares um it's quite big on yeah I'm, i'll try and get linkedin up now and just try and tell you how many people have had a look at that because i'm quite intrigued and about um how many people actually jumped on that one and i've made a lot of connections on that as well especially in australia i seem to be quite big for some reason and i wonder whether that's because of the um the masculine culture that the australians have i don't I don't necessarily know. Let's have a look now. So I'm on LinkedIn at the moment. Someone liked it today, in fact. Um, so 309 people liked it, 56 comments, which is, you know, it's not, don't get me wrong, viral, but it shows that it's a topic that people are engaging with.
2: And also engaging in, in one of one of sort of several disparate ways, really, because, you know, some people really didn't like it.
0: Oh, and, no, you're right, yeah. And,
2: yeah. And I think that, that's interesting in itself mm. that um, – some people find the whole topic of, of depression and suicide and, and anxiety, because of course we haven't really touched on anxiety, but that's, you know, anxiety to the point where it becomes pathological, you know, that's a growing problem in our society as well. And for some people it's just too close to home and that comes out as, um, as, as uh, you know, sort of aggressive, yeah. I don't
1: well, I, I suppose, does
2: it come out as aggressive?
0: I think it comes out as quite open, and people have a problem with emotion, don't they? And that's fine. I can get that. I totally understand people having an issue with emotion, um, and it depends what genre you are. I, you're right. Some people—it's not they didn't like it. I think some person, one of the guys, or someone said, and uh, you know, this is this is someone I've, who's been following me for a while said um, it didn't he fe- didn't feel it was professional to say these things. I, I you know, I get that. I, I totally understand that, but of course. I don't know whether there's anyone more professional at teaching people to fly military fast jets than me. So, and that's, don't, that's going to come out incorrectly, but what I mean is. So this
2: is a different, this is a different persona that you've got here, isn't it?
1: Yeah,
2: well, yes. You're in a different sort of space when you're talking about these things. And I think some people think that when we're talking about mental health, or suicide, we have to be very serious and, yeah. you know, very measured and very, and actually, for some people, that isn't how they engage with the world. And a, and a more kind of, um, not jokey, but a, but a more colloquial kind of style yeah. is going to engage some people more. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we have to be prepared to, to engage and to reach out to the person where they are, not where we think they should be. Are. You should be, sorry. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and that chap, you know, perhaps he's just someone who thinks that... When we talk about depression, we have to be very serious. But, but actually, you know, especially with young people, I don't think that that's necessarily the way the way to go. You have to you have to find a way of communicating with each person, and certainly with my patients, I've got it wrong before, where I've gone in, you know, I've misjudged a person and thought that a particular style of questioning or whatever, you know, might be good for that person and they really called me out on it got really angry with me yeah um so you know i I do think that it's about trying to pick your audience and of course you know you can't do that you're doing a a podcast or you know making a video um and and it just is what it is and and i suppose like all things on the internet if you don't like them scroll up yeah no
1: one
0: no one's being forced to listen to an opinion and that's all it is of course all i write is yeah well, you're being forced to listen to opinion now, okay? Yeah. So
1: <laughs> you will listen to me.
0: You will Obviously, listen. You'll but, listen to yeah. yeah, exactly. I will listen to you. You're, you're telling me what's going on. You're not allowed to hang up. No, but you're absolutely right. And it is an opinion, and we don't have to read everything on the internet. I mean, we can we can turn things off. crazily enough.
1: Um, However, as hard as it is. yeah, hard as it is, and it is hard,
0: isn't it? What was that the thing I was going to talk to you about? So someone said, um, "I wish I'd read this a year ago," uh, and. What's prompted this article, of course, was the death of someone I knew. And, and if we go back and we talk to, especially in the tornado community, strange enough, we can see that um, that there's, there's been other deaths as well. And I think a lot of that is um, uh, someone said to me, he said, uh, you know, you've, you've gone to the stage where you're talking to someone about it. A lot of people never get to that stage. That makes sense. They just bottle up. They don't ever get to the stage yeah. and then they kill themselves. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh my God, he was the happiest person in the world. We hear that all the time. And,
2: don't and we? unfortunately unfortunately that we still see that in well, we don't see that, that's the problem. Uh, the large majority of um, of suicides may have seen a health professional, but usually, you know, their practice nurse or the GP and we don't know them. So that's really that's really difficult. That we don't even get to intervene in a lot of people um, before they commit suicide we see a lot of para-suicide, a lot of deliberate self-harm. Yeah. But we don't often get people who, for example, have done a very serious suicide attempt and just for whatever reason they've been rescued or it, it's gone wrong. Um, because, you know, when people make that, that final decision, for some people it's a real relief and they, and they make sure that they don't get found or whatever. Um, yeah. And that's why it's often a shock because people often, they feel so much better once they've made the decision that life is unbearable that they do come across as a bit better for a few days and then people
0: are very shocked. Yeah, and you're absolutely right there. That's quite common knowledge. I read an article recently about ski towns in America. So a ski town like Aspen or Vale, you know, these these things exist. People tend to go to ski towns when they're at the lowest point. They think, I know what makes me happy. You know, I'm feeling really low. Um, I think I'm going to kill myself. I'll go to a ski town. I'll work in a ski town because that's going to, you know, it's going to make me happy. I mean, it sounds great, doesn't it?
2: That's my idea of hell. Yeah, I know, I know.
0: It's like really, you want to work in a ski town. So they go there, and of course, um, low-skilled labor. They work in bars, that kind of thing. Life's go on. They end up in their forties. You know, you can see the picture it's not building.
2: Just that. It's that- Wherever you go, there you are.
0: Yeah, you're still there. And
2: everything that's bad about you're still your there. life, which is your brain yeah. and how you're thinking, and you just transfer it to a skin job, which is even worse.
0: I know. Snow will make it better. First, start me. Snow, snow is all yeah, curing. Yeah. People but people um,
2: do think that. Though, don't they don't really think change a job, change a marriage, yeah. change a house. It's not about that. It's about what's inside.
0: Yeah, which is very cliched, but of course, the reason that people say okay. that. Okay it's because it's, yeah. yeah, exactly, it's very true yeah exactly because it's very true and they end up what happens normally is um, the suicide rate goes up in the spring because they go through the winter and they say I'm feeling pretty miserable but in the spring everything will be better and of course they get to the spring they've got the same head same brain still there nothing's yeah. better and then they kill themselves so they get a suicide rate increase <laughs> yeah and you know, the depression is still there isn't it in the spring and I think that's the problem as well we, we have to look after people especially this time of year as we approach the summer everyone's expecting a great summer and the winters are being quite long and dark and Yeah, as you said, nothing's really going to change with that individual. They're still still there with the same issues.
2: Well, I think all we can do is, like with the TN Empathy site, have um, structures in place that mean people can come forward anonymously for support because people often need to dip their toe in the water before they fully commit. So with the TN Empathy site, people will often post anonymously um, and say, you know, I feel really grateful because X, Y, and Z. And then if people feed back positively and say, you know, message me, whatever, I, I might disclose, I can help. Then they might feel the strength then to say, actually, I feel suicidal. Yeah. But, you know, you may well get that on a squadron or in, in a military place. I mean, I'm not a military psychiatrist, so I, you know, I'm not pretending to know much more about the military other than from you and our other brother. brother. Um, but if there's, somewhere you know if it felt that they can anonymously go to somebody and get some sort of support check out what's going on with them unfortunately at the moment important to you and as a friend of mine who is a military psychiatrist it seems that it's all very all or nothing once you've gone along and said i feel a bit down then you know you're kind of taken off flying you know and and especially if you need to have medication and it seems to be a really long time period that you're not allowed to fly for. So there needs to be much more kind of openness to, you know, you might not have a full-blown clinical depression, but you might be on your way there. So people to be able to feel that they can come forward. And maybe you need like a, a military-style tea empathy group or something Yeah. where people can anonymously post and see what the response is. And then that might then give them the strength to go to their boss or whatever and say, I need to have a couple of weeks off because that in itself can be, you know, changing to one's state of mind. Just to step out of, you know, the airplane or the classroom or the hospital or whatever it is that you work in for a short period of time. And yeah. and, and remember that, you know, you are a human being, you're not your job.
1: Oh, yeah. And you're not yeah. you have
2: it's about your values. That's that's where the, the the new sort of third wave of cognitive behavioural therapy is looking at. It's just, it's about living in line with your values and so you may well have values that are around being a good military pilot but you will also have values around being a good partner or being a good father or being a good rabbit owner or you know having a nice house to live in or you know being a good member of a drama club i mean there'll be lots of other values that you have which if you can't serve those values because you're overworked then you're going to start slipping in
0: your in your mood yeah and i think something that i've heard before you know we're human beings not human doings and that's again a phrase that we hear before but again it's very relevant and i think um, there is that as i said people will work themselves into the ground in fact when i did see a psychiatrist in the military going back six years now i think or seven years the first thing he said was let's take you off work for 30 days don't go into the squad now i'm an idiot so of course i didn't because i'm too important to have 30 days off you know I think I did yeah, about. How could
2: they manage without you? Yeah, exactly. How, how
0: could they survive without me in such a difficult time? So I, I think I had like the afternoon, you know, went back to the squadron. <laughs> the
2: afternoon
1: off.
0: Yeah, afternoon off. Yeah. Went around a cup of tea, went back in again. You know, I can solve this. And of course, that never really worked out as, uh, as um, I'm sure my listeners are aware now. But, um, he was quite adamant. He was like, we can move you anywhere across the services. We can take you away from the squadron if that is a problem. It's quite a difficult time at the time on the squadron. Um, I'm not really able to talk about it too much because there's contractors involved and they get all really upset about the difficulty. Uh, I can't talk about it too much, actually, because they will they will have a big go at me. But um, at the end of the day, we, we, yeah, yeah, they were like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, even, gonna, I'm not even joking, it's happened before. Um, so uh, it was just that I think the airports were trying to prop up a lot of um, a diff- uh, during a difficult time. And of course, the 30 days off thing was, he was saying, yeah, you'll just burn out, get off the squadron for 30 days. But the problem is getting off the squadron for 30 days, I'm still living next door to it. I'm still in a village yeah. and the jets are still flying. And I'm thinking, you know, are those guys safer with me not being with them in the air? Or, you know, and also the noise of the jets, it just reminds you it's all there. You know what I mean? It's it's, it's I'm not getting away from it. I'm not living in a small little chalet in the Alps or something. It's, um, it's, it's all, especially if so we send guys back to the Marie quarters, have some time off, I'd say, after they go back to the Maricorters on the base you know, with, their toddlers. with the toddlers, with the wife toddlers comes home. home, wife comes home. And normally it normally is the wife. She'll come home and say, what have you done today? <laughs> it's, it's that kind of, <laughs> what have you done today? He's like, I've just survived. You know, it's, it's that kind of compounding problem. I, I tend to find it's not just one thing, it's it's many. But um, but either way, I mean, I think I think the service is, is getting a, a bit better. I think it has to get better because it won't have anyone left otherwise. I mean, things are a lot more complicated than it used to be. Um, this, the equipment we're bringing in, there's a lot more people. I mean, I'm running three jobs at the moment uh because they're gap posts so gapped means you know there's a there's a gap there that someone has to fill i'm working in two different locations you know all that kind of stuff i'm living away from my wife and all those kind of things so unless we treat these people differently then and obviously i'm leaving next year because i've just if i'm going to do this anyway i may as well do it for industry and get paid twice as much call me old-fashioned but i've been in for 20 years i just fancy doing something else and being rewarded and being remunerated properly for that. But we know it has that effect when we load people up. We know we're burning them brightly for a very short space of time, which makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? You can load people up, but one or two things happen, is we find with young doctors, either kill themselves um, and we don't notice it, or they, they leave the profession. And, you know, less doctors are come and join now, apparently. Yeah, there
2: are less joining, there are less going to medical school, but there are also a lot more who are uh, finishing their medical degree and not working as doctors. right. So yeah, so that's another problem. On the, yeah. On the um, um... For psychiatry it's it's the area of medicine with the, the most number of unfilled consultant posts. Really? Um yeah. Which is an issue, I think, because we've got, you know, more and more mental health problems in in society just because of the way that we're living now. So I think, you know, to sort of sum up really what, what we've been talking about. It's a sort of whole system, whole person approach to maintaining your mental health. It's not about a bit of express or take a a pill. It's about thinking about how, how you are living your life on a day to day basis. And is it in line with the values that you have? So if you have strong values about, you know, preserving the planet or, you know, um, being a parent, are you meeting those values? Or is your job getting in the way of those. So do yeah. so, so you need to think about that? It's about thinking about what you put into your body, whether that's food or drugs or diet coke, or you know, whatever. Is that helping your brain or is it making it worse? And what supplements might you need to, you know, to boost your brain power. So if you're feeling foggy, if you're feeling, you know, that you can't concentrate, maybe you do need some extra omega three and and I'd advise you to you know, look look up on that and see. can't to overdose on it, but you know, don't take the whole bottle in one go. Obviously, yeah. um, get some advice. You know, if you if you really are struggling, you need to see your GP as a first port of call because GPs are excellent at mental health care. And in as a psychiatrist, I only see the really complicated cases. So you know, definitely have a chat with your GP. Going to your GP does not mean that you're going to be starting on a tablet. So. Think about that. Think about getting some more support around you. So, who are your group of friends? If you haven't got a group of friends, they need to start thinking about how to make a group of friends. And, um, you know, we could talk more about that, but there's lots of different ways of, of finding people as you move to a new area or whatever. I know you've done some of that yourself. Think about what you put into your brain in terms of information as yeah, well. Yeah. So if all you're doing is reading, you know, news items and celebrity stuff and, you know, looking on Facebook, then you're putting junk into your brain. Yeah. So think about what you could do differently in that respect. Either take a fast from that stuff, um, find a way of limiting limiting it or, or find things you know, I have a number of different novels that I find really uplifting and I, and I choose to read one of those instead. Yeah. So there's lots of different approaches. But, but the main thing is that if, if you're worried about yourself or someone that you care about, don't, don't stick on it because, you know, people do kill themselves out of the blue. Um, and you're not going to make someone kill themselves by approaching them and asking them how they are or do they need a bit of support, or do they, you know, is there anything you can do for them? You can't make it work by doing that. Yeah. That would be my message,
0: I think. Yeah, no, totally valid. I really appreciate it. I think we got a lot out of that, and we still haven't even talked about things like mindfulness, and all that kind of stuff. No, exactly. It's, yeah, and that's that's great though, because, you know, a couple of weeks on or whatever, get you back on again, you can talk about these, these things and stuff, and, because I think what happens is the podcast goes out, people um, email me, they get a lot out of these sort of things. And then uh, I know people are making continual adjustments. One of the reasons I'm writing the book is to help people make better decisions in their lives. Um, and yeah. then we just get you back on again. We can talk about whatever comes out of these uh, these replies. Yeah, cool.
2: Absolutely. And, and I'm really happy to, you know, if you're worried about someone, you know, just put them on to me. And I, I, I can't give them, you know, one, one advice. I can signpost people yeah. to, to then open. So it's um, area or whatever.